Welcome to 10,000 More, the podcast that explores the topics of grief, mental health, love, and everything that intertwines that all together. I'm Ruby Falk, and whatever it is that brought you to me, I'm very grateful for it. guys, welcome back. Um, Today with me, I have Sam. Sam lost her mother um, several years ago, and she is here with us today to share her story of of that that whole journey. So Sam, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm going to turn it over to you and and just let you you take it away. Okay, great. So yeah, like you mentioned, um, I lost my mom almost 10 years ago. It's gonna be 10 years in July. Wow. And yeah, it's, it's really wild. Um, it's one of those things where it feels like yesterday, but then also does feel like there's been a lot of time that has passed since then. But, um, her passing, um, was both, um, expected and unexpected in that, um, she, had cancer for uh about 20 years um oh my god yeah she had um kind of a rare condition called cll which is chronic lymphomic leukemia Mm. um and she got diagnosed with it um right after having uh given birth to my younger brother and um it was really surprising for several reasons the normal cll patient um is old male and white and my mom obviously wasn't male um she was in her Mm mid-30s when she was diagnosed um and her like ethnic background is actually like more middle eastern um, than like white european so it was particularly strange but um we were lucky because living in north carolina we um, had access to amazing, um, not just hospitals, but cancer research centers, um, especially at Duke University. So kind of right. from the get-go, she was part of trials and just had, um, you know, the latest and greatest in terms of um, cancer medicines and treatments. Um, so when I was growing up, I had no idea that she was sick. Um, Mm. she didn't look sick. She didn't act sick. Um, she was very active. She, um, was very involved in the community, had friends, we traveled, like there was, I had no sense that anything was going on. Um, and probably, I really was until I was about 16 that there was any, um, indication that I could like kind of see a change um and she was getting more tired like needing to take naps during the day which like wasn't normally like her um or needing to like opt out of things um like if someone like had a was hosting you know a dinner or something like that and um someone in the family was sick or had recently been sick she would make an excuse not to go and I started to learn that those that they were excuses not um because she didn't want to attend right um that she was trying to protect her immune system Mm. um 
And so I started to kind of put the pieces together on my own without there being a really explicit conversation about it. Um, and my younger brother um, was observing all of this with absolutely no idea. Um, and so it was especially what do you challenging mean? for him. What do you mean no so, idea? So he, so, so for my brother, his like memories of my mom, I think are a lot um, more of what I noticed later on. So his mm. associations were less of her being this like super high energy, vivacious person, um, because through his later years of adulthood, or I guess like adolescence, not adulthood, um, he was seeing more of like her being tired or like her not being able to go to his soccer games mm. or mm-hmm. um, things that I just didn't experience as much. So it wasn't as noticeable to me. So if, at least for him, there was a visible difference between um, my mom and her abilities or what she was doing versus other parents. Um, Got it. And so there was a starker contrast for him. And while maybe I uh, noticed that around like a similar age to him, we were just like at different points in life where it didn't um, matter to me as much. Uh-huh. Um, and it was much easier. Like, and when I did at- finally ask like, Hey, <laughs> what's going on and I remember sitting in our living room as a family um, having the conversation and it was just like hey I have this condition but um, it's well it's it's chronic but it's not terminal and I'm going to Duke I'm doing all the things and no one has given me you know you know a death sentence but you know it's something that um, I'm dealing with so in my eyes it's like okay it's not terminal we're fine like right and you look fine and you're not, you know, there was no, like she had long, really long hair. She, um, still again, in like, in my eyes still did like all the things that I associated with her. So there wasn't this, um, I wasn't looking at her and thinking like, okay, maybe you are not feeling as well, or your body is going through something a lot harder than you're letting on. Hmm. Um, and so, it, so yeah, it didn't, it didn't occur to me that that was, that was the case, even though it definitely was. So, so I, I just want to clarify, did you, did you not know that she had cancer until they like sat you down and told you several years later? Yeah. I had wow. no idea. And I guess you were young when she was diagnosed. I, was young, I mean, and I think part of it was that like, they didn't really have a lot of information because she had this rare form it was, of yeah, cancer right. it was just and so she wasn't weird. a traditional patient for that kind of cancer mm-hmm. I don't think the doctors really could provide her with any more context or information than um what was shared with me later um and I think you know I'm sure the hope was that there was going to be some treatment that would fix this or put her into permanent remission or something along those lines um so like why yeah why scare us or why right right and also like get our hopes up necessarily Mm -hmm. um until they knew something for real but I think as she was um becoming more visibly ill Mm -hmm. and um it was impacting the day-to-day more and she was having to go to Duke more frequently and um that it was just going to be a pre- more present that they decided that they had to 
share that. And I was able at that point, again, I was 16. My brother was around 11 or 12 at that point. So I think I was able to understand it better than he was. And, um, and yeah, and just look at it differently. Got it. So then, so then what happened? Like after they tell you this? So, yeah. So she, so she had been living with CLL for all these years Um, and there was no like triggering event or something that, um, would have excessively changed her health. Um, but she got, um, shingles randomly, um, one winter and, um, the doctor had said like, oh, you know, it can happen to you when you're older, even if you had chicken pox as a child, because um, it's just a compromised immune system, which obviously happens right. more and more when you're younger. Um, what it ended up, though, for my mom being an indication of was that she had um, was in the very beginning stages of a very rare form of brain cancer called oh PML, um, which is like one of those things that like I keep seeing it pop up on like um, – ads for ads on tv for different kinds of medication and you know they'll list like all those like crazy side effects that right, are possible right. and then they're like and pml and i'm like whoa oh my <laughs> god yeah that's nuts um but um what pml is is that it 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 is a form of brain cancer but basically as soon as it, it is uh detectable in your body there's nothing you can do about it and it just slowly over uh time um shuts down different parts of your body so for my mom how this manifested was um she started losing speech capabilities um and uh so she was stuttering or having a hard time remembering words and she was known as a person who was incredibly outspoken um and always have lots to say about everything so noticing her getting quieter being hesitant um about how she was speaking Mm. um she she definitely noticed that something was off um but she went to doctors and they said look you didn't have a stroke and we have no like you don't testing for pml is not a normal thing in the medical checklist because it's so rare uh, most doctors don't ever even see a patient um, who has it or to diagnose it Hmm. Um, so it didn't occur to them to check for it and um, they just said I don't know let's keep monitoring it so that was in um, March and of March of 2010 Um, and basically by May she had um, almost entirely lost her ability to speak, um, lost, um, mobility, um, was, I think what I've understood to be like, almost like a, like someone who like has dementia where they can physically see them and they don't necessarily look like there's anything wrong with them, but their faculties are not, um, Mm. all, all present. Um, so, and that was really the point where, um, I was told that something serious was going on um, and that I needed to come home and see her. And um, I did. And it was really shocking because, again, even though she had had uh, she'd been sick for so long, she didn't look sick. 
and she didn't um, act like a stereotypical right. cancer patient or anything they show you in the movies. Right, any, right, exactly, exactly. Cancer has such and, a look to it that yeah, we think or, it or does, you know. Think, yeah, or we think it does. Right, exactly, and, exactly. And it's re- and so it was really shocking to see someone who in just in December of uh, the year before, like a couple months before that, we had gone to Puerto Rico. We were in the pool having drinks. So it was a great yeah, time. Yeah. I was lamenting to her about a job I hated. <laughs> um, and, you know, she was giving me all this advice. And then, you know, come May, um, she could barely speak um, wow. at all. Um, and so I was incredibly blindsided and, um, you know, just didn't even know what to do. Um, and I was also about a year out of college. Mm, Um, when I graduated, it was the height of the recession. Um, my graduation speakers were all like, congratulations, you won't have a job. (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) Good luck anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, so I just, I, in March, I just started working at, um, the organization where we overlapped. Um, and I was so excited to be there for me. It was really a dream job. And so I was so, um, focused on that Mm -hmm. and I was giving all my time and energy to that. Um, so I was, I like, uh, when I got the initial call of like, Hey, you should come home. It was, I really had to debate over it because, um, I felt like I was leaving this work situation. I didn't know how serious things really were. Mm. Um, but then once I came down, it was very clear. Um, and by, uh, by, so I came home in May and I basically started shuttling back and forth between DC and North Carolina, um, every weekend, um, up until that point, um, because, there was they once we finally got the PML diagnosis, then it was very clear that things were terminal and it was a matter of just making my mom comfortable versus um, exploring treatment options. Right. Um, and there was just a lot of I kept asking, like, should I stay? Is it time for me to stay? And no one wanted to tell me what to do, which right, I right. appreciated, but I it also, I think, would have, I wish someone would have said, like, yeah, just stay. Right. Um, so I was, so I was with my mom when she passed. I was, like, with her in, like, that last, like, time period and when she got moved into hospice and things like that. Um, but I, like, now looking back, like, wish I would have just, once I came down in May, I wish I would have just stayed. Um, yeah. For, for that last little bit. I, I always, I say this, my experience with death is so different than yours. And I always say this to people that I have either on this show or, you know, in conversations I have in passing that like to people who have lost a loved one to an illness and to watch that decline I just can't I I can't imagine like yeah I I I don't even I don't even have words 
Yeah, I think it's a really, it's a really fair point and um, is something I completely understand because I obviously one it does one circumstance isn't you know easier than the other sure um but just like it, it is something that I think has been for me um on the other side of it it's something I've come to appreciate a lot more in terms of everyone's grief experience being different and um how just like those kinds of factors that totally I, I think for me, when I was mourning my mom's passing, um, I, you know, got into this mindset that my <laughs> experience was the worst and um, really was like, you know, woe is me um, feeling. And I mean, then you, you know, hear about crazy, crazy, and ter- absolutely terrible, horrendous things that happen to people. And um, it's not that it diminishes my experience and my mom's passing, but it was sometimes, um, I think I found it helpful to know that, um, there are lots of people who've experienced terrible things, whether it's losing someone or just something else traumatic in their life and the, and yeah, hardship of any kind and that people do come out the other side. Um, and it was a good, and that, and that, Sadly, the one common experience we have as humans is death. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and that while it's, you know, notoriously a sad topic that people want to avoid, that actually, if we could really embrace it as a society and say that we do have this shared experience mm. and how can we be more supportive to each other, knowing that whether, you know, it's in your life today or at some point in the future or something traumatic or not, that you can be there for other people because at some point you're going to need other people to be there for you. Um, oh my God. And yeah. just taking that mindset would be so much more kind. Yeah. Um, that is like it, so inspiring. But, <laughs> but in the, but in the, I mean, but in the moment, like in the immediate right, year, right. you know, especially the first year, you know, I was, you know, it was ever, I was sitting, I was sitting on the plane rides going back and forth mm. and feeling yeah. like, you know, both why is everyone not seeing how this terrible thing has happened to me yes. and isn't asking me a million questions, but also don't, I don't want anyone to talk to me right. because I can't yes. get through any sentence without profusely crying. Mm-hmm. And my like eyes are finally like open instead of being like swelled yeah. shut and crying. Yeah. So it was a very uh, <laughs> a wide range of emotions or like opposing emotions happening constantly. Um, but, but I think where so, I was like, able that's to grief. find- yeah, it, it so is. And I think there, I know you talk about it a lot and a lot of your guests have talked about it a lot of just um, uh, people saying things to you um, or you, you know, Google <laughs> grief and <Yeah. laughs> uh, grief 101. Yes. And there's all this advice that's intended to be helpful or people say things that are intended to be helpful. Um, but it's, I think it's something that someone said to me, um, but I think it was years after my mom passed that it was like, oh, I wish I'd heard this earlier, um, was that instead of like 
oh, it's going to get easier with time. Like you're going to be okay. Uh, things along those lines of just right. lean into the suck. It yeah. sucks. Um, yeah. This is the worst thing for you that mm. has ever happened. And instead of trying to push through it and um, get in a better headspace immediately and operate in this like uh, this next chapter of your life without your mom, um, mm. you like just lean into it. Like yeah. do whatever you have to do to um, experience it and um, kind of get everything out of it. So if you need to just have, you know, periods of just crying for weeks, do that and try and create a space for yourself that you can um, comfortably do that Mm -hmm. um but and if and if you feel like you can also you know um hold it together and uh move on or or like you want to refocus your attention in other ways like whatever works for you is totally fine but I think the that there's um sadly a lot of pressure around uh what grief looks like or should look like and I think it gets to something you talk about all the time being of making other people feel comfortable so I was yes but I was just gonna ask who the person who told you like the lean into the sack which I'm adopting and I want to like make that the tagline of my podcast and like put it on shirts and (laughs) and various paraphernalia is did the person who said that to you had they ever had they lost someone before like had they experienced grief themselves I ask this because I don't know if that's something I think the reason that people don't want you to lean into the suck is because it makes them unbearably uncomfortable to see someone they love in so much pain which I fully get like obviously I understand that I don't want to see anyone I love in pain like I will do anything to take pain away from someone that I love But I find that, like, the only people who were fully okay with me being so emotionally fragile and and miserable were the people who have either been through something challenging, whether it be, like, maybe they battled cancer themselves or something horribly traumatic or a loss. Like, they were the ones who were just like, yeah, it's awful. Like, let's just sit here and cry. Because no one I knew who hadn't lost someone or had been through something terrible would ever have said something like that. A hundred percent. And that was definitely my experience. That it was someone who had experienced yeah. loss before. And I and I think that's also, I'm not sure I would have received their advice and embraced it if they hadn't. Sure. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Because, like, that's super wonderful <laughs> if you, like – have an experience hardship um to say like just lean into it yeah you're like um yeah (laughs) even if you agree with them you're like what do you know like you know what you're talking about and the kind of like feelings or at least for me like was very serious sadness very like just mentally dark um moments and outlooks like just trying to understand like how can life um go on not just go on but like how could I find joy in life but I can't call my mom and tell her about all those moments like Mm. how like how can those two things exist and for a long time Mm. it seemed impossible and I couldn't reconcile that so like I needed I don't think I could have um 
yeah, really believed that that was um, advice that would help me get um, into a good place. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because if you're saying that, okay, I can be sad, I can giving me permission to really feel all the feelings um, that, and I can still come out the other side again, like in a more joyful or right. more uh, kind place then I, yeah, I don't think I would have trusted that guidance. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that, and also just some of the, the ad, advice I feel I okay hold on I have to like say something but then I also have to say something else so I I was talking to someone who wanted to be on the show um and she's going to be in a couple of months but she was just like I just don't think I have any advice though I'm like this Mm. you can't give anyone advice like no one thinks that you have the answers it's not like anyone's gonna say like (laughs) it's not like someone's gonna tell me something I'm like oh my god I don't miss my dad anymore like that's like that's it's never going to go away but it's more just about the idea of relating to people which is like the entire reason that this podcast exists that aside 100%. that just like reminded me of that and some of the because i was thinking of like quote advice that like the advice that people would give me was very much like something that would be inside of a Hallmark card that you give to someone <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> who is grieving which don't get me wrong those messages are beautiful but it, it was very much like every day gets better um, and each, you know, in their memory is just going to bring you so much joy. And that is something I was shocked really didn't bring me a lot of joy. Like the joyful mm. – I mean I had I, just a very close relationship with my dad and, and, and a happy childhood and a happy life and those happy memories were like – like, could make me vomit when I thought about them. Sure. You know, and it, like, it just took me so long to let his memories bring me joy again to think about. It took a very long, like, a shockingly long time. Like, I didn't think that that was, granted, I also didn't think that I was going to lose my dad, A, in the way I did, and B, as young as he was and as, and and I was. I always thought, you know, my vision of losing my parents was they're old and you know my kids would be grown and out of the house and I just had to like take care of my parents who were like in their 90s and blah 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 and I I just I didn't even I feel like stupid that I didn't think something like this was possible you know well no and I think that I think that goes again to this like societal at least in a western american for sure culture and oh I yeah think this is like also something that i don't think we has been talked about maybe on the podcast but i think is really important for all of this or i at least want to acknowledge is that it's also a really privileged standpoint to be in because we um i think share parents who um had successful careers sure. and gave us a really wonderful life and so we were raised definitely with a perception that yeah, you only are going to experience loss um, under natural circumstances, Absolutely. and when someone's older, yeah, and kind of this very fairy tale idea of what life looks like, you know, and it goes along with you know you like going to college and um, creating a nuclear family, yep. doing yep. doing all of those things, and I think for me that was I was raised uh, not just under those circumstances, but also to uh, continue to perpetuate that. Uh, 
storyline. Totally. And, yeah. And that was definitely um, something else that was just challenging for me was like, wait a minute, I'm a very type A person. <laughs> I've been following the rules and I've been doing all the things yeah. and yeah. like, this is a curveball I was right. not expecting. Yes. And like, what do I do now? Like, uh, you know, I was not only like you, I was giving guidance for my parents. I'm like, you should be doing X, Y, and Z. And you, you know, you need to hit like this milestone by this point and this milestone by that point. Um, but none of it accommodated for losing one of my parents, um, and just not having a, okay, like this is, maybe things that you need to now incorporate into your life planning um, or be thinking about um, or even just having like more honest conversations and being prepared for like now that I married um, having conversations with my partner about like what I if I die under natural circumstances what I would how I'd want to be remembered or how like all of those things that like people are like get like like right don't want to talk about last rights exactly exactly um because it's uncomfortable but then really like now that I've been through it and um experienced some of this with my mom and especially because she could not speak Mm, um that um I think it's so important to have those conversations because there's nothing more loving I think you can do for someone um, then fulfill whatever vision they have right. for the end Absolutely. of their life. Um, but again, it, like it doesn't, it doesn't. But that is not a like, you know, that was not a item on the checklist <laughs> that my parents right. provided. Um, so it definitely like threw me for a total loop um, yeah. in terms of how to navigate all of it and like it wasn't coming up in the google searches like nothing, uh, i know nothing was nothing was there and i think um something one of the reasons i wanted to share my story was um with you was not just because i've experienced loss but because i was also able to see my experience through a very different um way or um look at it differently um, because so my mom passed in July of 2010, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, my husband's mom passed away, um, right before a few months before we got married oh in God. 2014 and her passing was very unexpected, Ugh. um, really just sudden tragic and mm. the way, and it was, there were lots of things that happened, obviously one, it was completely different circumstances of her passing, but, um, I was very conscious of, because it had been about four years since I had lost my mom. I had had been to therapy, had had some time to reflect, had been getting like Mm -hmm. that lean into the suck, like solid advice, um, that really resonated for me. And then this happened And I was really trying to, on the one hand, not impose my experience on my husband or his family. Um, Wow. Yeah. And because I just knew that that's not the right thing to do and that that was one of the things that frustrated me when I was 
in those immediate yes. moments. Um, so I didn't want to say I know what it's like or um, you're, you're like you're going to be okay. Like all those things we just talked about is being so um, frustrating and unfortunately not as helpful as they're intended to right. be. Um, but but um, then on the other hand, like trying to um, be supportive of my husband and his family in whatever way they needed me to be. So um, I, you know, in some ways went into like autopilot because now that I'd been through it myself, I mm. knew about yeah. writing obituaries and working with funeral homes and making arrangements and doing all that kind of stuff. And, and um, your experience with it was, correct me if I'm wrong, but your experience with it was like you had time to think about that and prepare, whereas it sounds like maybe your husband's family like needed someone to do that because they were probably just like in shock. Absolutely. And it's, and it was like, oh, great. Here's something I can do. Right, right. You, you want to be helped. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it was a way I could be supportive um, without necessarily, like, without, um, you know, hopefully being too imposing or sure. um, anything like that. And um, I, you know, was reflecting on so many things that um, my husband was helpful with when my mom passed mm. where um, – he was cleaning up after every um, Shiva gathering and right. he was, uh, you know, making sure that people got rides to and from the airport, just like all, all these different things. And he was just there and able to help however we needed. And yeah. I needed to like cry. He, you know, was yeah. like there to be with me in like those moments. Um, and so I tried to just do the same thing, but was really, um, surprising for me was that um my husband was sad he delivered an amazing very heartfelt eulogy at the mm. funeral wow. um and then he, about a week later he came back to dc and went back to work wow and was for all intents and purposes as far as i could see <laughs> he was fine and i was like Hold on. Yeah. I was a mess. Yeah. I was going to work, but I was literally crying everywhere. Yeah. I like couldn't talk about anything else. Like nothing brought joy. Mm -hmm. Like, how is he functioning? And like what's wrong with me that like I uh, yeah. that I'm four years removed and I'm still struggling with so many aspects of my grief and my husband is four weeks out and as far as I can tell, is handling it in a um, much healthier way mm. um, than I am. And oh, there's um, so much to unpack on that statement. But keep yeah, going. Well, <laughs> and it was just it was um, it was hard not to compare um, and not to feel like again that like something was wrong with me that I was obsessed with my grief and you know that I should follow my husband's lead um trying and just trying to figure out like all of that and it, it took me a really long time to appreciate one um I should have known better that just because he seemed fine and was able to hold it together from like nine to five that he was grieving he was just handling it differently and not as much in terms of conversation and mm. um, 
expressing it, but that he was, and that he was just trying, he was, I think, trying to protect me um, and be sensitive to me Mm. and shield me from like the moments that he did need to cry or just uh, Mm -hmm. be in a sadder place. Um, But then also just didn't necessarily need to do it (laughs) as much as I did. And that I had to like come to terms with the fact that I'm a crier and that's just like, how it was going to manifest itself for me. Um, And yeah, I think, but also just really that like, you can't, I should have known better that like, you can't compare um, two people's experiences. And even though I've been getting so much advice and doing all this reading and again, been in therapy to like um, hear that it really took me um, experiencing it firsthand with my husband to appreciate that, no, like everyone's experience is truly different. And, um, no matter how close to home it is, it's, it's not, it's just not going to look and feel the same way. Right. Um, every single time. Right. Like everything you just said is, is I'm like going to chew on for the rest of the day because I just, I, the, I, the, the grief comparison thing just, it exists in every facet of our life. We compare every single freaking thing that we do, but the grief thing is so, uh, I was doing it with people who I I didn't even really have like a relationship with past following each other on Instagram or Facebook, like distant older friends that I hadn't seen in a while, let alone someone I lived with, let alone someone, again, I was married to, who is now experiencing a loss and to like compare, it's just, I, yeah, I, I like nothing I'm saying makes sense. But the the idea of of not um, projecting your experience onto them is really hard because you have such a clear idea of of what death means to you and what this experience did to like to the way that you relate to the world. Do you know what I mean? I absolutely know what you mean, and it's it's like. Um. Yeah, it's just it's so hard. so on the one hand like I I I fully get that it's you should not like just because you dealt with grief one way doesn't mean your husband dealt with it the same way or that the loss was the same or what have you but then at the same time I find this so funny. Maybe it's because I have a podcast about it, but I I also think this existed before the podcast is that people would reach out and be like um my coworker like just lost her mom and I just don't really know what to say. Do you have like any advice? I'm just like I don't know. Like, I don't know your coworker. You do. Like, I don't know what to – I'm not, like, an expert in death. Like, (laughs) you know, so it's just – it's so interesting that on the one hand, people think that you know what to say because you have lost a parent. But on the other hand, in your exact case, the types of – the the type of death was different, which really does make a difference in in the grief, I think. Um, And, like, you're different people, you know? 
A hundred percent. And I think even um, just to reiterate the point you just made, I unfortunately had to attend um, a memorial service for someone I knew from high school who mm-hmm. passed away um, at the end of the year, at the end of 2019. And um, her mom attended one of the shivas that was organized. Um, and I was so awkward with her. <laughs> I did not say the right thing. I left there thinking like, oh my God, of all people, Samantha, <sighs> you should know how to That's so funny. comfort her That's or like so what you're funny. supposed to say. And I yeah. just totally messed up. And so I resolved instead to like, just because it was tearing at me and I have you know, I'm a hundred percent certain that her mother is not dwelling on this <laughs> right, uh, right, experience right. or interaction at all, but that I wanted to like write her a letter or just an email just to hopefully be a little more articulate and say mm. something um, more than I was able to get out <laughs> in that yeah, moment. Yeah. Um, but exactly that just because I've gone through it, um, in some fashion of losing someone close that I was still not prepared, right. um, almost 10 years later, uh, <laughs> what to do, right. um, and how to comfort someone else. And I think that can, you know, it, it sucks. Cause you really, I think, I, I at least like I the I feel like there's a club oh, yeah. <laughs> a little bit absolutely and like a club that no one wants to join and that you hope no one ever uh, joins um, and so I think you know you you may not feel comfortable um, giving very explicit d- advice or guidelines on like do this or do that after um, you've lost someone, but right. you would hope that people would come to you and or feel comfortable enough to like ask um, and sure. maybe just like understand your experience. Um, so I think, you know, having that moment of like, oh my gosh, I like, I'm part of this club. I should, I should know. And I like, can't, and I couldn't, and I couldn't uh, comfort this person in the way that I would have hoped I uh, could have, um, which is, uh, again, unfortunate, I think only for me (laughs) Um, and not, and not her. Yeah. 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 I, uh, it also, I mean, I also just think that the the idea of of losing a child to me is the most terrifying um in a way that losing a parent or any really any other loved one isn't just because it doesn't make sense like everybody dies but there is a a timeline in which everyone should die and like to bury your child i I, I would just – I would be at a complete loss for words and, yeah. So I, I – That was definitely for me. Absolutely. Um, watching Ab- – observing my grandmother oh, God. at my yeah. mom's funeral was oh, my the God. Most was painful. the absolute most heartbreaking I, yeah. thing I've witnessed ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and my grandmother had already um, experienced loss of her husband. Mm. She had experienced – loss of like a like a a baby very very early on Um, and one of my one of my mom's siblings is uh 
pretty severely mentally challenged. And so she had experienced so much. And then it yeah. was like, wanted this woman who like doesn't drink yeah. <laughs> doesn't smoke yeah like has you know the cleanest like no not on the radar of anything because she's uh, a wonderful person um like how could she be dealt this many shitty cards yeah yeah um and it yeah it really that really sucked yeah to, to observe yeah i i can imagine I, I want to circle back to um, you kind of navigating your husband's grief while also navigating yours. I want to mention, I mean, you know, four years out, you never stop grieving, but like four years out is still pretty fresh. Um, I'm just kind of curious to know how that like worked itself out. Yeah, I for me, it was um... – on the one hand, really just directly reaching out to him, yeah. um, even when he looked okay and yeah. seemed fine, um, and just very explicitly checking in with him about that. Um, mm. Or um, there were things of that made, I think, once you lose someone um, in your family, it makes family gatherings, um, different and potentially more complicated. And there's just different emotions around it than, you know, you would have had before someone passed. And, um, I think for, so for me, it was also that of like encouraging, um, being involved with family and, um, staying connected Um, even though everyone in the whole family was experiencing, you know, something so painful, um, and challenging and then just really expressing, um, again, very explicitly that like our home and our relationship was a place that he could, should feel comfortable and that I was very open to receiving whatever, um, emotions and, um, headspace he was in Mm -hmm. and that he, um, didn't feel like he needed to, um, shield me or, um, you know, tread lightly around me and that I felt comfortable saying like, if anything was too much that this was too much or, mm. you know, now is not a time that I can like be there for you mm. in that way that you need um, and just putting it out there. Um, and it wasn't that he like had many moments that he was very explicitly saying that he needed that, but I hope, I, I hope, and I think um, the proof is just in like, that that we still have a good relationship, still married. Yeah, of that course. Stuff. That like that we were that we were able to respect each other's boundaries in that sense. But I think this is a topic again. It's taboo in general society, and I think it can be just as taboo um, 
in individual relationships totally. that um, like, oh, like this is sad, so we shouldn't talk about it right. or it's hard, so we shouldn't talk about it. And so even though we didn't weren't necessarily having like, um, again, regular sessions of, you know, just letting out all the feelings. Um, yeah. I think, I think we were, we were able to together create a space that when we needed it, we could utilize it. Yeah. Um, and knew that regardless of the other person, um, was there. And I think, I think just for me circling back to some the things that we've talked about, um, already that, I think that's the ultimate thing you can do for someone else that's grieving is just Mm. saying, I'm here for you um, in whatever way you need. And that I'm um, not afraid, like if it's for crying, if it's for um, it's something that I struggled with is being happy after and not just like, Oh, like being like, I know optimistic or positive, but like, um, feeling like I had permission to totally. laugh yes. or, yes. um, you know, see, you know, have a pet and enjoy, you know, snuggling with my dog. Right. Like, yeah. Those, those kinds Absolutely. of things that I was allowed to do that. And so that I think that can be very complicated for someone on the outside to be like, Hey, like you're telling me that you're grieving, but I'm seeing you, you know, posting fun things on Instagram, like which version are you today? Uh, Yeah. Um, And so I think, uh, and obviously you don't know, um, and anything um, can trigger your grief to change, you know, how you're feeling. Um, But I think it's the kindest thing you can do for someone is giving them the space and permission to feel whatever they're feeling and that you can be that person in whatever way they need you to be um, is the greatest gift that you can give someone. I think it, what's wonderful about, I think that concept though overall is that it obviously can apply beyond grief. Um, And that if you can, you know, uh, move beyond like things being a little uncomfortable or maybe a little awkward or just, or just knowing that like, you're not always going to have the right thing to say, but that um, it was just at brunch with um, a couple of girlfriends um, and who I've known um, since middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were recounting how someone, a mutual friend that we had grown up with, how we're not as close with her anymore. But when in the um, lead up to my mom's passing, like when she was in hospice and kind of word was going around our small Jewish community that she wasn't doing so well. Um, this friend showed up, um, came to my home. We sat on the bed, same bed that we had sleepovers on as kids. And she just listened. And I, you know, was giving her like every medical aspect of PML and like going on and on and like rambling, you know, as I have from this podcast and (laughs) she just, um, and she just listened and was there and Mm. um I'm not as close with her today but I think you know if I can look back and say like what was yeah and like what and like that I will always be so grateful yeah for that moment and that 
space and opportunity right. that, um, yeah, and have just have those warm feelings towards her. But yeah, she wasn't saying something specific. She wasn't giving some like sage advice because she had experienced anything like that. She was just there. And um, yeah, it was really valuable. Wow. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I know that we just said, like, there's no advice to give, but I feel like that was great advice. Although I think that was advice for people who are, like, supporting grievers, um, mm. which I think is so important. Like, in many ways, I think, like, they need the advice more <laughs> than than people who are grieving. Um, and I just I, – I yeah, I love that message. I think – I think just being able to to sit with someone and, and let them be where they need to be is so hard. Like, I struggle with that. Um, I think it's just hard. It's hard, and but but really necessary, but hard. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. No, absolutely. And I, and I, and I th- hope that, like, if anything, when um, people who are going, who are grieving um, – if they, you know, feel like they need to be able to respond with something um, to all those inquiries that you typically get after experiencing a loss, but um, if that's something that they feel like would be, you know, helpful for them, that that's something that they can say say to other people. Sure. Um, yeah. And because uh, I definitely, you know, was doing a lot of like, no, like I'm, you know, I'm don't need anything right, I'll exactly. let you know exactly. was like all my messages um and uh yeah so hopefully that could fill in fill in some blanks I love that Maybe. I love that parting wisdom <laughs> well Sam thank you so much this was wonderful um really loved getting your insight on on just all these different facets and and aspects to your grief and experience no thank you so much for having me and um echoing the words of so many guests you've had so far um to you just such gratitude for creating this space and community of people um and it's just really wonderful both to be a part of but also to uh, listen to other people's um stories so thank you for everything you're doing thank you 